Because everybody's excited, new Harry Potter covers are on the way. At least some people are. This is MuggleCast episode 262 for February 27th, 2013. This week's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 262. It's a two-man show this week, this month. Uh, we are without our fearless host and leader. Andrew is off enjoying himself and uh, attending to uh, other responsibilities at the Oscars. Yes. Which is a pretty big deal. It's a big deal. So uh, it's just Eric and myself here for this particular episode. We have plenty of uh, news to catch up on, some big stories, one Pottermore related, one related to the book series, have several voicemails, tweets, and emails to go through. Voicemails are back. Voicemails yes, are back. Full force. Yep. La- last episode, it was just one voicemail. That was just to whet your appetite to get you guys back into the flow of sending in voicemails, but... <laughs> We have quite a few this week. Flo, it did. We have, well, I won't say exactly how many, but we do have quite a few. Um, so that's great. Thank you guys for sending those in. And uh, we'll also repeat the number for you, the hotline number, uh, as we get closer to the voicemails in the show. So There was uh, an exclusive interview done with Charlie Redmayne, who is the CEO of Pottermore. It was a sit-down interview uh, where he really went in-depth about this online platform and answered a lot of questions that people had, even addressed uh, some of the fan frustration that has been ongoing really since the beta test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll include this in the show notes, but uh, PottermoreNews.com released this. Uh, it was a two-part interview, actually, and they just released the second part um, only a couple of days ago. But I thought it was really insightful, and I always like hearing from the CEO of Pottermore because he's, you know, very passionate about it and he's he's but he's also open and honest about where they want to go and what they want to do. Yeah. And for people who are wondering, will this content stay solely on Pottermore or will it be seen in book form? He answered by saying that Pottermore is going to evolve into a range of different digital platforms for people to spend time in and J.K. Rowling's content will appear in all of that. He mentions the Book of Spells as being one of those uh, additional platforms in the integration with Sony and PlayStation. Uh, and he thinks that you're going to see Pottermore on many different platforms, uh, not just on the Internet. And um, they're going to show the content using the functionalities of many different devices that are available to make it the best possible experience for all of us. I wonder if I can get it in the shower. Oh, you know, a couple years. Do you have a TV in your shower? No, no, no. But eventually, I wonder if they'll sell like shower doors that have Pottermore on it. Yeah. What was the uh, the one thing we were talking about not too long ago was on the backs of uh, seats in airplanes. Yes. Yeah. Um, which that would be cool. I, and I haven't taken a oh geez a long enough distance flight uh, for quite a while to actually have. Gosh, I miss it. Uh, TVs on the back of my seats. But anytime you do sort of an international flight. Uh, the movie selection screens where you can choose, you know, TVs and all that, you know, all the television shows that you want to watch, anything, you know, that would be a great opportunity to to review Pottermore or to experience it again if you're going through, you know, the different moments and memories and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, I actually just took about a three and a half hour flight uh, to and from Houston uh, for work over the last week. And and you need to fly JetBlue more, Eric, because you get TVs in the back of your seat. It doesn't matter <sighs> If you're traveling domestically or internationally, uh, this show is brought to you by JetBlue.com. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no, but... no, no. What it is, Micah, you're brought to us by JetBlue.com. Oh, okay. Is out. that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. You're brought to us there. But 
really just in Houston, you had TVs on the back of the seat. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're if you're taking a an, an hour and a half flight to Chicago or, or a three and a half hour flight to Texas, or you're going all the way out to the West Coast, you get TV. I'm just gotta ask now, how many seats were there across the like an aisle? Like how big was the plane? How wide was the plane? Uh, it it depends. They they have two types of aircrafts. They have the two and two. Uh-huh. Um, with the aisle down the middle. And there are still TVs on the back of the there seats. There are still TVs. Oh Absolutely. my gosh. Here I am thinking it's only big planes. Well, and I... then the, uh, they also have the Airbus, which has three on each side. I've been proven wrong. It's just crazy. Yeah, usually I get like United or a Southwest and it's a tiny plane. And I'm just like, okay, clearly they couldn't put TVs in the back of every seat. They can. They can. They can. <laughs> you, should, you should file a complaint and see uh, how that nets out. But uh, just some other uh, things that... Uh, Charlie Redmayne touched on in his interview. Uh, they asked him how closely is J.K. Rowling involved in Pottermore? What role does she play? Uh, you know, he, he goes on to say that it was her brainchild, her idea. She wanted to really give something back to the fans, and she's immensely grateful and respectful to her fans. And that she does look at all the artwork that is put into Pottermore. She's not necessarily involved day to day. Uh, that's more of the Pottermore team that has been hired. Uh, and, and he does mention the fact that he has gone out and hired some of the best, best digital, uh, technical folk, uh, in the business to, to help with this. I'm assuming most of them, uh, are Harry Potter fans. Redmayne says that he, uh, is, is a parent and he's read the first couple of books to his children who have then gone on to read the remaining by himself by themselves but he himself i guess uh if you know one would hope that he has become a fan and and is is in a way forced to read the series but <laughs> but he's not somebody who has read it previously which i think you don't necessarily need. I mean, it, it, it's it's somebody who's coming in with a fresh perspective as well. Yeah, yeah, very much so. No, I, I love to see how Harry Potter continues to affect people and adults, people who are CEOs of this company, for instance. You know, they reached out to him, and he's probably read the books, at least since, you know, that happened. And this is really cool to see that the books are being celebrated by people who care about them. You know, and it really wouldn't be any other way, though, because there's so many people that this has affected, and there's so many people, you know, who want to see more content, want to see this happen. That I'm so thrilled to, to you know, to read that the the team is experienced, and you know, I'm sure they're all Harry Potter fans. Yeah, and and he notes that that's what he considers to be his greatest accomplishment uh, as CEO of Pottermore is hiring some of the smartest people in digital publishing, and. Uh, he notes also that there were some serious challenges in terms of getting the site live, which we've spoke about on this show pretty extensively. Yeah. And more importantly, getting it out of beta. Uh, you know, that site was in beta for a very long time and it was frustrating a lot of people out there who weren't in that one million, uh, group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he talked about, um, you know, again, in this interview, some expansions for Pottermore, not only into new areas, but also the shop. And he mentioned actually, uh, something interesting about feedback, uh, that he's gotten. And he said that feedback on, uh, the shop in particular has exceeded his expectations. Um, and from the publishing industry perspective, the Pottermore shop, this is him saying, speaking, is seen as something that has broken the mold and really changed publishing. So that's very cool. Now, is it true? I mean, I, I think you can still, Get the ebooks exclusively from the Pottermore shop. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe so. Okay, so that's that's really cool. I think that's still still pretty cool, and I like that we were the you know sort of the first or that Pottermore you know Potter really did that. I just think I think it's really cool. Yeah, and also expanding into other languages, not only for the website but in ebook format as well, uh, which is important because we know the fact that this is a global phenomenon it's a huge scope that it, that it reaches and so for it to be available moving forward in multiple languages is only going to help the growth uh, of Pottermore and he went on to say we'll be seeing more content to engage with uh, and new developments with the site more books rolling out and he goes on to say hope we are getting faster and better at doing that i think that some of the feedback we got 
on the last rollout was that it was great and people got it before Christmas and they weren't necessarily expecting that. Um, and for the critics out there, which there have been many, including us at times on the show, uh, he said that he realizes that Pottermore is not for everyone, but ultimately what it was always meant to be was J.K. Rowling giving something back to her fans. Running a website that has so many millions of people using it for free uh, is an immensely expensive undertaking, and I hope it does does have value because it's certainly something that J.K. Rowling is investing a huge amount of time and money in, making sure it happens. Nothing like this has ever been done before, and it's really a groundbreaking adventure. So that's something also to think about. We realize how much money J.K. Rowling does, in fact, have, uh, because we've seen stories about it over and over. But you, one of the things, you know, and I didn't even think of this, and, and in a way I feel ashamed, the fact that she is putting her own dime into this, and that you know all those people who are working there are being paid by her. That's got to be so cool to see on your paycheck. <laughs> From <laughs> Signed J.K. By Rowling. J.K. Rowling. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that. That's just it's got to be cool to work for Pottermore. I'll do an internship for Pottermore if they ask. There you go, and then you could go to the studio tour. There you go. So <laughs> as many times as you want. It's a plan. We are going to continue with the news in just a moment, but first, it is time to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For our listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their great service. One audiobook to consider is Divergent by Veronica Roth. Now, I get lots of questions. as Since we do do this podcast and we do a couple others, people ask us, well, what should I read next? What is next? What is the next big thing? Of course, there was Twilight. There was The Hunger Games. And the next big thing, I'm going to let you in on the secret right now. Some of you know this already because it's already kind of becoming the next big thing. It is Divergent by Veronica Roth. It is a trilogy even though only two of the three books are out right now. The third one is due out this year. The second one is called Insurgent. The first one is called Divergence. It is a a dystopian novel. I actually just finished reading it the other day. You can listen to it, just like you do a podcast, for absolutely free, by visiting audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. Do a search for Divergence. You will see the book there. You know, people really enjoy the book, and and people do believe it's going to be the next big thing. There is a movie that is, they haven't started shooting yet, but they are going to start shooting soon. They actually, the studio just announced the other day that Kate Winslet is going to be in the movie. We don't know who she's going to play yet. There's, there's, There's some guesses, but... Summit has not announced yet who she's going to play. So, um, and, and by the way, Shay, Shailene Woodley is going to have the lead role as Triss. This book follows a girl in the lead, in the lead uh, character slot. So again, go to audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast, type in Divergent, type in Fifty Shades of Grey, type in whatever you want. Whatever book you want to read, visit audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. Chances are you're going to find it. They, they have, like I said, over 100,000 downloadable titles and many, many, many books you are going to love listening to, just like you do this podcast, are available there on Audible. And we thank Audible for their support of the show. Well, speaking of J.K. Rowling, uh, it was announced uh, not too long ago that Scholastic is planning to release uh, 15th anniversary paperback covers. Wow. And this is going to be a recurring theme, I feel like. For what, so for t- all seven Harry Potter books are coming this year, I think. Which is awesome because normally the antis- the what we would anticipate would have just been for Sorcerer's Stone, right? Right, because they didn't they do they did a tenth anniversary Sorcerer's Stone. Scholastic did this cover, I, right? And I have that. You you do have? I, I was going to say I don't know anybody besides my girlfriend that has it. Um, but you do have it, and I do have it. Is it him on the train platform? I forget. Let me go to the bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> Micah goes to his bookshelf. Do we have music to play during uh, this? Uh, sure, I'm sure I can find something in production. All right, I got it. Never mind. <laughs> uh, it's actually him staring into the mirror of Erised. Oh, okay, right. Okay, sure. 
Um, but there, there is another drawing I think that was new. It's of uh, Hagrid taking the first years across uh, the lake to Hogwarts, and I think that was by Mary Grand Prix. Is that on the back of the book, or it's it's just before the title page? Oh, interesting. I don't. Yes. I don't know that I knew that existed actually. Um, yeah. But I do think that in in that case, the tenth anniversary, I, I'm fairly certain that was designed by Mary Grand Prix. Um, in this case, both the artwork uh, appearing in that tenth anniversary collection. But actually, this time, guess what? Five years later, it's a fifteenth anniversary collection. And there's actually a, a pretty cool news story, pretty cool interview with the artist who's been tasked with um, designing these new covers. Oh, yeah? Yeah. His name is Kazu Kibuishi, I believe. And uh, Publishers Weekly um, you know, first announced it, and they, were, they announced that Scholastic uh, was fond of this guy's work. Um, he's known mostly for... Uh, illustrating the Amulet series of books, which I'm unfamiliar with, so I don't actually know. So am I. I've never heard of them. I don't know anything about it, but you know the way that books trend these days. Um, so I'm sure that I would be able to walk into like Barnes and Noble and find it. But anyway, apparently he's a big Harry Potter fan, which is also works in our favor, I guess. And he says that at first he was hesitant uh, to agree. Well, you know, once he was approached to redesign the Harry Potter uh, books. But – and here's a, here's a quote from him. Initially, I didn't want to see it done because I love the original covers so much. I'm a huge fan. But after thinking about it for a while, I figured if someone were going to do it, I should try it. <laughs> yeah, so a, a true fan. Like you said earlier, yeah. somebody who didn't want to really mess with the original. And I think the reality is that that cover of Sorcerer's Stone – by Mary Grand Prix, just like all the other uh, American editions, is is are always going to be the originals. Uh, th- but the thing is, moving forward, there's obviously going to be these anniversary editions, and I would think that Mary Grand Prix has quite a stock in her home somewhere of all the different uh, covers and chapters that she put together at one point or another, where she certainly has extras available. Uh, but perhaps she was just busy, uh, you know, with other things, and uh, she didn't have time to to work on yet another uh, <laughs> cover of Sorcerer's Stone. I'm sure she's done plenty in her day, and and is quite uh, ready to move on to other things. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that it was probably Scholastic just wanting to go a different direction. Um, because from what I know of the art uh, and Ma- Mary Grandpre's art, like she doesn't actually own anything that she produced scholastic does um so she can't resell or re you know produce or anything uh of of her previous work on the book if they would ask her to do something else i'm sure she would but i think in this case they really just wanted a different look uh than than you know was with the previous books and this this actually um this discussion reminds me or you know prompts me to ask maybe we'll get into a little bit of favorites segment here but since we're talking about the covers what's your favorite american cover of the Harry Potter books, Micah? Favorite cover would probably have to be Prisoner of Azkaban. Really? Yeah. Okay. Why? There's a lot. There's a lot in most of her covers that really detail a lot of the scenes and characters and moments of that particular book. But I just feel if you look around that particular cover, there's so much to take stock of if that makes sense yeah um so i'm looking at it right now and it's harry and hermione on the hippogriff and i i love this scene it's it's obviously the breaking series out of a cell scene um, right spoiler alert for book three yeah but if you don't know yeah. that by now yeah i know i know but and then Sirius black himself appears on the cover in a shadow or as a shadow which is totally cool yeah, and if you look on the uh, the inside flap, you actually have Scabbers, uh, the inside flap of the front cover on the bottom right-hand side. You can kind of see his shadow magnified a little bit there. Oh, man. that's I don't have an inside cover because I have the paperback. Oh, okay. So, I'm, so I'll I, tell I, you about the uh, – are the hardcover and the paperback different? Uh, well, no. I, I just think anything that would go over like a flap doesn't exist in the paperback. Because oh, okay. it's not it's not the well, book cover. So, 
Yeah, well, so there are there are also those deluxe editions that they did a couple years ago for the last two books, where I think book seven is um, the Antipodean Opali flying across <laughs> the countryside. And right. I'm trying to remember what book six is. I think it's it's uh, outside of the uh, Gaunt House. Yes, yes, and which is but, a cool one too, by the way. That's really cool, and then even the book five one is cool. Um, I'm fairly certain it's Grimald Place, like from from the outside. But um, and then the front cover of the book is is the in, is him in the Department of Mysteries. But so you know, it's going to be interesting. We're, uh, we're we're juggling around at different covers because the cover I actually have for Half Blood Prince. I'm looking at it right now is Dumbledore and Harry um, inside the cave. Just oh, yeah, I'm talking about the deluxe edition. Oh, the deluxe the del- edition. Okay. Yeah, I was talking about the deluxe covers. But yeah, um, I believe that is the deluxe cover for Half Blood Prince. Is the one just outside uh, the Gaunt home. You're right, um, um, and and that is really cool. I, I think I I would like to own that or print of that, or maybe I'll just go get to used bookstore and then take the cover off the book and then frame it. Yep. Uh, but just uh, you you know you look around a little bit, uh, finishing up the Prisoner of Azkaban cover here. Uh, you have uh, prongs on the inside back flap, and then on the back covers the Whomping Willow, Crookshanks, uh, what looks to be Lupin in werewolf form, and then a Dementor creepily hanging over uh, one of the uh, porches. Porch is not the right word, but I'm going to call it a porch for right now. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I just opened up the full thing. Yeah, man, this is this is cool. I just found this. Uh, I did a Google search for Prisoner of Azkaban U.S. full cover. Yeah, and so I'm able to see the. I guess it's yeah, it's the Whomping Willow and Scabbers and all that. That's really cool. Now uh, I just looked up Amulet by uh, Kazu and Kabuishi. Yeah, yeah, and what's interesting is he's actually um, a comic book artist. It looks like, and so that and. He works for Scholastic, uh, so that that might be the tie-in there as to why they decided to bring him on. Uh, but we did actually, uh, you know, get the cover for Sorcerer's Stone, and I was just wondering, Eric, what did you think about this cover inside Diagon Alley? Hagrid and Harry walking along. It's a little bit of a different spin from the original and the tenth. Yeah, anniversary. it is. <laughs> You know, it is more it is more comic comic booky. Um, now that you mention it, I really do like it. Um, you know, this new proposed cover. Whether or not I'm going to buy these books is different, only because I have the U.S. versions and the U.K. versions, adult and child. Right. And Same here. I believe in several several copies. So I I, ju- I don't know at this point because they've only released the cover for the first book. It, and it's not even like it depends on how good the image is, is. I might may or may not buy this book. But for new users, for new readers too, I think that this will be very fresh looking. Um, and you know, more in touch with what they're used to seeing too. And and not not to say anything against the Mary Grand Prix version. Um, but this Diagon Alley scene. You know that that is being portrayed in this new cover is a lot more, I think, appropriate for the the first book because it's an introduction into the magical world. And you know, when Hagrid takes Harry to Diagon Alley, that's his introduction to the magical world. Whereas on the you know previous U.S. book cover, I think it's him playing Quidditch. Um, you know, and there are some like there are some columns or something, and he's on his broom. And like, look, it's fine. You know, it it absolutely served its purpose. But this, I think, is more allegorical of the story inside. Yeah. You're right. It is it is him trying to go for the snitch on the cover. There's also uh, a unicorn, a shot of Fluffy, and then on the back you have uh, what looks like uh, Dumbledore uh, and an owl, and I'm sure there's a couple of other nuggets around here. There's a flying key. Yeah, she's really good with piling things on top of each other. You know, give give her that credit for sure. Um, and but actually we didn't um we covered your favorite my favorite i have to say though the us um goblet of fire is 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 still my favorite book cover mostly because of the you know what you see on the front i never i don't think owned the the hardcover of it so i didn't look at the flaps or the back but um on the front i think is still the best image of because harry is there with his wand he's smiling you see cedric and the other two champions victor and uh fleur 
and he's got his pot of uh, gold, or actually, I always thought it was a pot of gold as his Triwizard winnings, but actually it's a golden egg. Now that I'm looking at yep. it, wow, I never got that. Um, I just think this is a best draw. And a lot of it, different the look creatures. Of, the look of joy. Yeah, the look of joy on his, is, is on his face. And in the back, which I've also pulled the back cover, you see a dragon actually. The Hungarian horntail, I presume, is the entire length of the cover. Um, maybe is that what, – what do you think is in the lower left? Like uh, besides the, the dragon, there's – I think you see its eye and it has like two – Antenna, I want to say. Do you do you see what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I wondered if they worked in some of the care magical creatures into this uh, cover, just because there mm. seems to be a lot of uh, weird looking creatures uh, on this cover. Yeah, and then oh, Madame Maxime's carriage in the back being towed by the horse, or the horse is towing. Right. Um, and of course the goblet itself, which fire, looks like so. it's being put. Through the uh, brush there by Fake Moody, I would guess who has, or is it perhaps? Uh, no, hold on. I think that's Harry's outstretched arm grabbing the cup. That's what it is. He's re. Yeah, oh, yeah. You if so? you look, his arm actually goes on o- over the spine and through the bush and grabs the cup. Oh, that's but that's. Uh, I think that's Victor Crumb. Victor Crumb's arm. You know what I'm saying? All right. Well, maybe it's Moody. Maybe, maybe, maybe it that's is. Moody. We're, we don't mean to uh, to get into too much analysis here, but yeah, sorry, I can't believe I, I can't believe it's episode 262. Down the covers on the it's, show. It's episode 262, <laughs> and we haven't talked about that. I mean, well, no, I think um, we'll always find stuff to talk about. By the way, but uh, we did talk about book seven when that was released, obviously because yeah, that was huge, absolutely. Um, but yeah, in terms of the other covers, I guess I never realized how intricate um, this stuff was, but. Yeah, like I'm I'm excited to see the the upcoming book covers and and the thing is like I'm glad they're releasing them all at once. Um you know, they only previewed the the first book, but the fact that all the books on the shelves of Harry Potter are, are going to be seen new is refreshing because otherwise we'd have to wait, you know, a year until the next one, a year until the next one, a year until the next one, then 3 years, then 2 years, you know, and it would be just kind of like, "Oh, come on already." Um but, yeah, they're celebrating 15 years of Potter. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. And uh, we did ask on Twitter what people would like to see these 15th anniversary covers look like for the different books. Uh, obviously, we've seen uh, Sorcerer's Stone, Eric, as you pointed out. But we did get some responses. Uh, it's not nostalgic. That's a cool Twitter name. Uh said, for Order of the Phoenix, <laughs> it should definitely... Uh, be Harry and company flying to the ministry to quote unquote save Sirius. Hmm. Energizer okay. One said, I'd love to see a shot of the Weasley's joke shop on book six, maybe even the vanishing cabinet. I was going to say that. Wondrous Watson, <laughs> yeah. I would love to see Harry and Ron crashing into the barrier for Chamber of Secrets. That would be a cool cover. That would be epic. <laughs> uh, Amity Hufflepuff says, hmm, maybe the Yule Ball for Goblet of Fire. I wish I could have gone to it. And uh, Muro's 15, Harry fighting the Basilisk. It would bring in new readers. Who wouldn't buy a book that had a 12-year-old fighting a huge snake? Who wouldn't? Hmm. That's a good question. Who, who, who indeed? Right. Who indeed would not? Uh, well... As mentioned at the top of the show, we do have uh, several voicemails uh, that you guys sent in that we want to uh, go through, and so uh, we'll play the first one right now. Okay, and our first one comes from Simone. Hey, MuggleCast, this is Simone. I was calling with a question. Um, Personally, I really enjoyed the extended editions of the first two movies. There wasn't a ton of content, but it was still interesting. Do you think we'll ever see extended versions of the other movies. I think Warner Bros. has uh, displayed a lot of creativity and ways to try to get us to spend money. And I have to say, I would definitely shell out for this. Thanks a lot. Love the show. Keep it up. Bye. So Simone asks if there will be extended editions, if we think there will be extended editions to the later Harry Potter films. And I assume that means versions with, you know, deleted scenes and all that put back in the way that the Ultimate Editions did um, for the first two Harry Potter films. Yeah, and and does he mean in theaters, or is he talking about just because they have done them on television uh, and 
particularly with ABC Family, I know they always put the deleted scenes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, and and show the extended versions. I, I assume he means home video, um, but I, you know, just thinking about it, I, I'm I'm I feel like the deleted scenes, like as the films went on, the scripts changed like the way that the way that they wrote the film changed so it became less about you know we have to capture this scene from the book on film than we have to tell the story and so what i what i mean to say is that a lot of the deleted scenes that you do see on the dvds and the you know the blu-rays and the, and the features and stuff tend to be um I want to say extraneous, or they're just they, they kind of go different directions, and they they would confuse the narrative if inserted. Uh, unlike the first two films, which are really just you know very faithful to the books in the right order, and they're like completely new scenes. Um, so I, 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 my argument would be that the films kind of changed the way that they were created, and therefore there couldn't be extended editions um, because they knew pretty much what scenes they wanted to keep, and they knew fairly early that. Dobby wouldn't be coming back in films and Dumbledore wouldn't have a funeral and all that stuff. So they never filmed it. So they really wouldn't be able to put something like that back into a film. Yeah. And, and I think we've seen deleted scenes from later films and some we've questioned and said, yeah, that would be great if it was included. Others have just not fit. And that's exactly why they didn't make the final cut is that they don't fit. And so, I agree with you. A lot of the deleted scenes, specifically from Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets, flow extremely well. And I think a lot of that has to do with loyalty to the books. Whereas as we've gone forward in the series, what's happened is because of the size of the books, it's been pretty difficult to to not deviate from going literally chapter by chapter in the movie. And so... Just from a flow issue, I don't know if it would necessarily work, but I would, at the end of the day, like to see something uh, that has all of the extra content, maybe even some things that we haven't seen that are still lying on the cutting room floor somewhere at Leaves and Studios put together and you know allow us to, to watch it consecutively. Yeah, very much so. And the next voicemail comes from Zoe. Hi, I'm Zoe, and I'm 14, and I'm from Maryland. And I just wanted to know what you guys think about fan fiction. Do you think it's cool or derogatory, or do you just not read it? I know you have a fan fiction on MuggleNet, and I just wanted to know your thoughts. By the way, I'm a huge fan, and I'm really glad that Selena joined, because I also listen to One School, and she's great there, too. So. Thanks, guys. Um, bye. So we have a Selena fan, uh, and 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 Zoe, thank you for submitting your question. Uh, I don't think we've been asked this before. Maybe we have. Um, but Micah, what do you think about fan fiction? Well, I'll answer the other part of of her question, which was, "Do I read it?" And the answer is no. <laughs> uh, and that doesn't mean that uh, that I would dislike it, or I think that it's stupid, or you know, any of those types of things. You know, I think it certainly has a purpose. I think it shows a lot of the creativity in in many cases that our listeners and that the, the fan community as a whole can demonstrate. That's just one of those areas. You know, you talk about uh, Wizard Rock or Quidditch or, uh, you know, podcasting. You know, I, I feel as if fan fiction and the writing element of it um, fan art. It all kind of flows together and, and it works kind of in synergy with, with other things. And so I think it just demonstrates the, the imagination and the creativity of the people who are a part of, of this fan community. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that all writing is exercise and, you know, having the ability to write, uh, news stories with established characters, um, you know, is, is, well, it's, kind of easier in some ways, but also it just allows you to, um, feel, you know, it fuels your passion, uh, for writing. It, it builds your, your muscles for writing and also allows you to explore those characters that other people know, you know, know and love so well that you know and love so well in, in new venues. So I think it's actually interesting, but I can't say I've read. Yeah. And, and sure. We all know there are things out there that are interesting to say the least, uh, yeah, but I think that's all Obscure. part of it. Obscure. 
Yeah, no, I think so too. Um, so thank you again, Zoe, for sending in that question. And next we go to Matt. Hello, MuggleCast. This is Matt calling from Nashville, Tennessee again. really appreciate you guys listening to my voicemail on the last podcast, even if I was the only one to submit it. Uh, my next question is, and this one is not quite as deep, have any of you noticed the music that plays when Haggard introduces Harry to Diagon Alley in the Sorcerer's Stone film is not on the movie soundtrack? Uh, just something I've always wondered about. Do any of you know why that is? Thanks so much, and take care, guys. Appreciate it. So this one's interesting. Matt uh, was was um, helpful enough and gracious enough to grace us with another voicemail. This time, it's about that soundtrack. Um, do you know what moment he's talking about, Micah? I'm guessing when Hagrid taps the bricks and it opens to Diagon Alley. What is the music there? Is it like do 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 or is that the great hall no i i think that's right i actually watched sorcerer's stone it's been on hbo quite a few times uh, <laughs> the last couple of weeks uh and i i ha- i did watch it and i did see that scene in particular uh but i don't recall off the top of my head what music is playing and and i actually confess i don't own any of the soundtracks uh to the films so uh i'd have to defer to somebody who does yeah, I have two, and I have three, and I think I have five, um, soundtrack-wise, but I, I don't have the first one. The first one was interesting because even though it's John Williams, it always felt like it was sort of selections from the soundtrack more than it was sort of every theme present. So that might go, you know, and, and sort of reinforce what Matt asked. Um, but I, I wonder if it's really just not part of another track. Um, you know, maybe because not that John Williams reuses themes, although we know he does because that's the point. Um, you know, I, I wonder if that bit might not actually be, you know, labeled something different. Um, but to be sure, um, you know, we should re rewatch that scene and, and, you know, also get the soundtrack to find out. But if any of our listeners can help out and happen to have the Sorcerer's Stone soundtrack and just want to see if, you know, Matt is correct and in fact that that song is not on the soundtrack, you know, write into us. Let us know or submit a voicemail of your own, and we'll play it on a forthcoming show, and we'll get that cleared up. Yep, absolutely. I'm actually trying to see if I can pull it up here on YouTube. Oh, okay. That's a good idea, actually. Let's see. It sounds like Christmas music, basically. Though, I, I would seem to think that this particular song is somewhere on the soundtrack. But uh, we'll move on to the next voicemail, and, and like Eric said, we'll uh, get back to you guys on the next episode. Once we have our uh, research team here at MuggleCast uh, dig into that deeper. Actually, uh, Micah, this this song is, uh, many people don't know this, is actually from the Home Alone soundtrack. And that's where you can find it, because it's Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said it sounded like Christmas music. It sounds like Christmas music. Um, no, but yeah, very weird. And we will indeed have our scouts uh, get on that for you. So the next voicemail comes from David. Hi, Marquette. This is David. And my question is, I've been wondering, whatever happened to the rumor requirement after Crab or what is oil or one of Crabble's two henchmen, the pressure being fired, in the seventh book. So I'd love to hear your take on that. Bye. So David wants to know what happened to the uh, room of requirement after the fiend fire incident mm. in book seven. All those uh, fire animals running around. Yeah, and p- more powerful enough that it could destroy a Horcrux. I don't know. I wonder what happened to that. I I don't think it was. You know, I don't think it burned down the room. You know what I'm saying? But everything in it was probably obliterated. Right. And I think that uh, it was Crab who did it, if I recall correctly. Uh, and I would agree, Eric. I don't know what happened to the room. I, I would assume that it would always be there to serve the purpose of whomever happened to cross it in the future. Hmm. It's kind of like that tree falling in the woods thing. Like, if no, if no, if nobody's in the room of requirement, is there, is it still like on fire and burning? Or what would happen to the next guy who just needs a toilet, right, or a chamber pot? Well, <laughs> he goes in and out, the door opens. What's, and what's interesting about it is, you know, I I feel like there is the the room of requirement 
default, which is what we see with the vanishing cabinet. Uh, and then when Harry, Ron, and Hermione go into it in Deathly Hallows to destroy the Horcrux. And then there's the version of it when they need it to practice for Dumbledore's army. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, yeah, yeah, I feel like, like the, they, the the room with all the crap in it. That's like the default setting. Mm-hmm. That's ha- or that's its true form. I, I'm sure it's it's well. I wonder if its true form wouldn't be emptier. Although that's a movieism because in the books it's actually got like bookshelves of defensive spell work and all sorts of other stuff that they that they use it to practice in. But yeah, Harry's uh, specific line to the room of requirement when he finds or when he wants to hide the diadem is it. Uh, or something, he says, I need a place to hide my book. There it is, the Haplo Prince book that he needs to hide. I need a place to hide my book. And then that appears. So yeah, I think in some incarnation, like, and pretty much everything in that room, anything anybody hid at Hogwarts, which that's how that, that room got so crowded, is that's how many people use that room to hide stuff. So I think you're right, Mike. If it's not the default, it's at least the most, you know, common room, um, that people are, are looking for. So probably a makeout it, room too. I'm just guessing. Probably a well. There was the uh, the incident with the um, <laughs> the uh, mistletoe. Yep. There you, know, you go. With 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 show. All so. right. Final voicemail is from Carl. All right. Hi, this is Carl from Hawaii, and I just wanted to say thank you for having a wonderful show. And if it wasn't for you guys, I probably wouldn't be like a Twilight and and um, Hunger Games and all those fans. Because I found you guys because I was a Harry Potter fan, but because of you guys doing the spinoff uh, podcast, I got involved in all those shows, uh, all those um, movies, too. So I just want to say thank you and aloha, and have a nice day. Aloha. Aloha, Carl. Thanks for submitting your voicemail. So Carl just wanted to say thanks, and that's really cool to hear that we turned you on to some other fandoms and you know some of the other book series that we enjoy. Yeah, um, very envious of the weather out in Hawaii right now. I'll tell you that. Which, oh, uh, what is it? Do you have it pulled up? No, uh, but we are you. Are you one of those guys <laughs> who always have the, have the weather app? No, no, but I guarantee you, it's much nicer uh, in Hawaii than it is uh, right now in New York. But uh, anyway, I, I always like hearing those those types of uh, voicemails or emails or tweets because you know, I think. Potter introduced all of us to a lot of different things as well. Uh, you know, we talk about our other projects, our other podcasts, you know, our other interests really. And it was, it was kind of a gateway, uh, to doing a lot of what we all do right now. Very much so. And, uh, just to answer your question is it is 80 degrees in Hawaii right now. Nice. So I'm, I'm sure that Carl is, uh, much warmer than we are in, uh, New York and Chicago. Probably enjoying some iced tea right now. Why not? Uh, but uh, that, that's it for the voicemails, Eric. How can people submit voicemails uh, just like these uh, these five listeners did for this show? So voicemails uh, can be submitted to us. It's basically just like calling us on the phone. And the MuggleCast hotline number has changed. So if you listen to some of our older episodes, you'll hear a different number. The current number is area code 323-984-8547. So definitely give us a call. You can leave comments, feedback, or ask us questions, and they can be about anything. They can be about the books. They can be about fan fiction, literally anything, and we will continue to play them on the episodes uh, that we air. Awesome. So uh, thanks to everybody who sent those voicemails in, and we'll now go over to the the hard-written copy. Still (laughs) electronic, but not as uh, tech-savvy, shall we say. Uh, with our, our our muggle mail submissions for this week. And uh, Eric, I think, do uh, you mind taking the first one? Yeah, no, no problem. First one is from Izzy of Bethel, Maine, age 10, which is really exciting. Izzy says, hey, MuggleCast, I've only been listening to you for two days, but I absolutely love you guys. I was wondering, how do you think the story would change if Dumbledore didn't die? Thanks. Sometimes it's the simple questions, and that's why I uh, I put uh, Izzy's email in here. Uh, a, a very good question for a, for a ten year old, by the way. Yeah, I think so too. What if Dumbledore didn't die? Well, 
I don't know. It's it's hard to imagine because um because J.K. Rowling kind of has a killing people thing, and it was really important for her. Well, it's important for Harry to grow by now by no longer having any mentors to look up to. Um, that's why Sirius died. Dumbledore, you know, the following year, and all those people, the, you know, the year after. So I don't know if it would have an effect on Harry's growth. Uh, you know, as as realizing that. It really, really will come down to just him and Voldemort. Um, I guess the absence of Dumbledore really helped him learn that. But I also think that if Dumbledore hadn't died, maybe we would have gotten more insight into the Order and Harry's parents and all that stuff. Because after book five, actually as of book six even, Harry's relationship with Dumbledore is very good. And, you know, Dumbledore is able to call him in for those special lessons about the Horcruxes and everything like that. It's wonderful to read, and I really feel like book seven would have been a lot more comfortable for everybody if Dumbledore were, were still alive. Right. I, it definitely would have uh, altered Snape, I think, and his character path, because clearly there needed to be that moment where Snape proved himself loyal to Voldemort, and there was no better way to do that than by killing Dumbledore. So it would be weird to see how that all played out uh, if Dumbledore, in fact, had lived through book six. And I, I just think we also wouldn't have gotten the same amount of insight into his life that we did uh, in book seven. That, right, with the life and lies of Albus Dumbledore. Yeah, so we learned a lot about his family, uh, his brother, his sister, his parents, uh, as well as his you know relationship with Grindelwald and their quest for power. So, uh, it, right, it, we it, learned all that without him being. Yeah, so it, it completely changes the course of Deathly Hallows, and and it'd be an interesting question to ask J.K. Rowling: Did she ever consider you know having that Obi Wan type figure? live through uh, you know the the end of the series i wonder who would have appeared to harry at king's cross if dumbledore hadn't died Dob- probably his parents no. just- <laughs> <laughs> uh, harry potter <laughs> you know what was so weird is uh i just uh watched uh the woman in black for the first time oh really and speaking of king's cross because there's kind of a uh similarity to how that movie ends. Uh, I never thought of that before, but you're right. Yeah. So anyway, we won't spoil that movie for you, but, uh, next email comes from Josh 23 of Wilmington, Wilmington, North Carolina. And he writes in about the wand discussion we had on last week's episode. Uh, he says he was listening to that episode when we started talking about how wands specifically about how in the first two films, the wands look quite plain and that for a prisoner of Azkaban, it was changed so that characters had more ornate wands that reflect their characters. Uh, in the books, Joe doesn't often describe wands, and when she does, she usually only gives us the kind of wood used, the core ingredient, and the length, but doesn't really give detail as to the outer facade of the wands because it really isn't important to the story. It does, however, make sense that a visual medium like the film would want to make the wands look as unique and character-specific as possible. That being said, it does seem unlikely that Ollivanders would sell an 11-year-old a wand that looks like Voldemort, and it got me thinking, what if the wand's appearance changes over time? That is, a popular mechanic of RPG games, that a weapon or item will change appearance as it is used, thus reflecting the character's bravery, skill, and morality. In the same way a wand might change appearance based on the kind of spells you use and your proficiency with them as well as your own personality as you grow, it would also explain why the wand chooses the wizard, because the wand knows that the wizard will change it. We'd love to hear what you think about this theory. Keep up the great work. P.S. Slytherin Rules. Well, thank you for that email, Josh. I think that's pretty insightful. Yeah. Um, Never thought of something like wands changing over time. That is pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, uh, to his point, we all play RPGs or have at one point. And so uh, there is something to be said for the weapons that you choose kind of maturing. I don't know if that's the right word, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, and over time, and reflecting, yeah, yeah, and reflecting you, and I think that that's there's definitely a basis in 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 that in the Harry Potter books with wand loyalties as well. Um, so overall, very cool. And the next one comes from Rebecca, uh, from Vancouver. 
Hi, MuggleCasters. I had a thought the other day. If Harry's mom hadn't died to save Harry, and Voldemort just killed his parents without Lily having the chance to be a martyr, then how do you think Dumbledore would have finished off Voldemort? Dumbledore's master plan that comes out in Book 7, in which Harry essentially sacrifices himself, only works because Harry is a horcrux from his mother's love saving him. So do you think... Do you think Dumbledore and the Order could have tracked down Voldemort's other Horcruxes on their own had they not had the extra power of a bit of Voldemort's soul on their side? Or was the entire good side just uh, in trouble before Halloween 1981, still of the show, Rebecca? Hmm. Ah, that's interesting. I wonder if Lily's love wasn't what caused the Horcrux to happen. I wonder if, in fact, it was just that the prophecy was fated to, to, to fail, you know, for Voldemort to, to fail. That whoever, whoever he chose for whatever reason would end up, um, you know, something would backfire and then that person would be fated to defeat him. Yeah, but I, I think the, the issue here is that if, if Lily died just normally uh, without stepping in front of Harry, Harry would have died as well and Voldemort would have sustained. So, I, I guess what Rebecca is asking then is what would Dumbledore's plan have been after all of the Potters were dead? Uh, and what would the Order's plan have been? Would they have been able to track down these Horcruxes? Uh, I, the thing is, I don't, Dumbledore doesn't really have a clue as to what Tom Riddle slash Voldemort has been up to prior to Chamber of Secrets with the diary. Uh, so, Dumbledore really has no clue as to how he has been able to anchor himself to life. That's a good point. That's actually a really good point. It's probably burning Dumbledore for like 12 years then. Right. You know, how did he survive this, that, the other thing? So, so yes, they would have been screwed uh, to answer your question. <laughs> uh, Rebecca, sorry, we uh, we couldn't do any better than that. Uh, but the the next email is from Cat19 from Sydney, Australia. And uh, she says, Hey, uh, so I'm listening to episode 239 and I've decided that you should, in parentheses, be outrageous and break some rules and do an episode where you make a Pottermore account and be sorted and like debate out the questions and see what house MuggleCast is in, what wand you cumulatively get. Kind of because I think that would be cool. Kind of because it could be interesting to hear you debate the questions. I don't know. I would enjoy it. Uh, anyway, just as a side note, I'm in love with 78, actual best episode ever. It's my go-to episode whenever I'm doing something tedious and want a podcast. It's 78. Uh, as another side note, when I first started listening to you guys, circa episode one, I was too little for my own computer or iPod and used to burn episodes on CDs and listen to them on my sister's old Walkman. Sad, wow. sad. Well, I guess hopefully this happens for me. I'm looking at the um, episode description from episode 78 because I do not – I have to say this is not one of those show numbers that sticks out to me. Um, and according to the show notes, Jamie is back. Okay, we have a Fox character discussion, and at the end of it, there is an interview with Joe Fulton of MillionairePlayboy.com about the latest Order of the Phoenix toy news. So, not much would indicate that that's a good episode, but... It must yeah, be I mean, because stand- Jamie came back. A standout episode, yes, but it must be because Jamie came back. Alright. So, that's great. We should have Jamie back on soon, I think. Absolutely. On... One of our newest He's back episodes. From his travels throughout Africa. Yes, which is true. That is true. We're not making that up. Yeah, we're totally not making that up. All right. Uh, so the next couple of emails that we have are uh, chicken soup ish. Eric and I'll take yeah, and I'll take the first Go one. Ahead. First one's from Luke, thirty-three of Illinois. The subject is encouragement. MuggleCast, my name is Luke, and in the past six months, I have gone through some very hard times with my life, dealing with career issues and family issues. It's been very difficult, and to help deal with the stress and help get through each day, I've been going on long runs while listening to all the old MuggleCast episodes in reverse order, which is interesting. Honestly, it's the one thing that's given me some joy and laughter in each day and gives me something to look forward to while navigating a difficult time in my life. 
I found a lot of comfort in those minutes of listening to you guys talk about Potter and joke around. It's been a real lifesaver for me. I just wanted you to know that your hard work and fun have really helped a complete stranger get through very hard time in life. Thanks for your work. I really appreciate it and will always be listening and running. Nice. Very nice. Thank you, Luke. So Luke knows all the secret codes by playing our uh, episodes in reverse <laughs> order that we've yeah. uh, put out there over the course of the last uh, seven plus years. Shh, Micah, Micah, <laughs> it's supposed to remain a secret. Nobody's supposed to know that if you play the entire fi- uh, 500 hours of the show backwards, you get Mozart's, I don't know, 10th symphony. It's true. Uh, the it's next true. email comes from Christine21 of Paris. And she says, thank you, dear Mugglecasters, from listening to your show for the last six years, I know you must get a lot of similar messages, but I still wanted to write in to tell you how much I appreciate Mugglecast. I come from South Africa, but I have been living in Paris for the last six months by myself. And while Paris is definitely a nice place to be, I often get homesick, and then I find it really comforting to listen to old episodes of your show. When I first started listening to your show all those years ago, it felt wonderful to finally find people who know who knew all sorts of geeky facts about Harry Potter and liked to talk about it. Just like me. And it still feels that way today. So thank you. Well, thank you, Very Christine. Cool. Yeah, thanks, Christine. We're happy that we can anchor you back to home. And the next email, oh, and the final email comes from Lane, age 30, from Australia. Hi, Mugglecasters. I'm from Queensland, Australia, and we recently had a series of floods caused by a tropical cyclone. Why anybody would live in Australia is beyond me. <laughs> Cyclones. One of the worst areas hit was the Bay of Bundaberg, which is approximately 289 miles north of the capital of Brisbane, where I live. I work for the state government, and I am part of a team that will assist when a nat- uh, natural disaster occurs. Part of the job that we do is assist in the granting of a monetary amount that is offered by the government, and while doing this, we hear their stories. Some of these people have lost everything, and you cannot but help be affected by it all. As part of my wind down, at the end of the day, I would listen to your podcasts, and just hearing your voices helped me calm down. Thank you, Lane. Well, thanks, Lane. It sounds like you're doing uh, a lot of uh, good work out there in Australia. Very much so. Uh, cool that uh, we heard from some international listeners there. Uh, two yeah. from Australia, one from France. So, uh, actually, three from Australia. Uh, going back yeah. to the and one from Vancouver, so we're we're just all over the place. We are international, baby. We are, uh, mm-hmm. but that about wraps it up for episode two hundred and sixty-two. Uh, people who want to follow us can do so in many different ways. We are on Twitter at twitter.com/slash/mugglecast. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash mugglecast. You can also subscribe and review us. Subscribe to the show. We're, we're assuming that if you're listening to us now, you're subscribed to the show, but perhaps you've wandered onto the Mugglecast site and clicked on the on-air graphic, so you can, of course, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. You can rate and review us there as well. We always uh, like hearing from you guys and getting feedback. You can shoot us an email, uh either by directly sending it to mugglecast.staff.mugglenet.com or you can use the feedback form on the website. And we do have a Tumblr as well, which is mugglecast.tumblr.com. Yes, and that's, you know, I, I always enjoy visiting the Mugglecast, and it's, it's a fan Tumblr. Um, so we have uh, some of our listeners, and actually it's a great, turned into a really great community on Tumblr there for us. So definitely check that out. And again, if you'd like to send us a voicemail, uh, you can do so. That number again is uh, 323-984-8547. And that's the MuggleCast hotline. You can reach us there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Somebody's calling us right now. Whoa, who's that? Who could that be? Not sure. Uh, But uh, in case you're looking for any of this information, we will be sure to... uh, Put the new voicemail number in the show notes, but also onto the MuggleCast website. If you log on to MuggleCast.com, there's a handy-dandy bunch of icons located on the right-hand side of the website for iTunes, Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr. And you can just click on Contact, and there will be a feedback form on that page where you can send us questions you have, concerns, 
whatever you want. Pictures. Uh, and, and also transcripts are available on mugglecast.com for all of our episodes now. Uh, may just have one or two that need to be posted, uh, but it is pretty up to date. So if you choose to read our show instead of listen to our show or do both, uh, you can check out the transcript section. There's also a section on the site. We don't talk much about this, uh, over the course of, uh, the last couple of episodes, but we do have a wall of fame section where we put notable episodes uh, onto our website in a nice little list for you guys to check out. And there's about 10 to 15 episodes, maybe a little bit more than that, actually, looking at it now, possibly 20. 20 out of the 250-plus uh, 200 plus, 250 plus episodes that we've done, sort of the ones that have stood out to us and stood out for the fans. And if you have one that you think warrants being on the Wall of Fame, let us know, and we'll put it up there. Such as Cat from Sydney, Australia, who says episode 78. 78, the return of Jamie. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, but I think that about wraps it up uh, for this episode of MuggleCast. Uh, right, Eric? Yeah, we'll see you in the next month. Well, uh, that does it for episode 262 of MuggleCast. We will see you next time for episode 263. In the month of March. March. I'm Mike Tannenbaum. And I'm Eric Skull. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> See ya.